KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Talk of breakthrough COVID 19 infections dominate the news these days. We wanted to dig into the concept of the breakthrough infection, learn all about it. So we caught up with Dr. Abby Rudolph. She is an associate professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Temple University's College of Public Health. Really important information. Give a listen. So, to start, can you just give me the definition of a breakthrough infection? A breakthrough infection is basically an infection that occurs in a person who has been vaccinated. This is something we are hearing a lot about, but this is, am I correct? This is not unusual. This happens in any vaccine scenario or no? Yeah, so I guess, can I give a little bit of background about Mm -hmm. like what the 95% um, efficacy means? And so basically no vaccine is 100% effective and every single vaccine has different levels of efficacy and effectiveness. And so when we do the randomized control trial, um, we're looking at efficacy under ideal circumstances in a controlled environment. So, for example, with the Pfizer, where we have, um, you know, about 95 percent efficacy, we start off with over 40,000 people and then we randomly assign people to either placebo or vaccine. And then we look at how many people get infected. And so like in the randomized control trial, among the people that were vaccinated, we did see eight infections. Among the people that weren't vaccinated, we saw 162 infections. So then when we calculate this efficacy, we're basically, we're looking at the infection risk in the placebo group, which was 0.74%, the infection risk in the vaccinated, which is 0.04, so you know not zero. And we're not looking at how much does a vaccine reduce your individual risk, we're looking at how much is the infection risk reduced if you're given a vaccine versus non-vaccinated. So in the vaccinated population compared to in the absence of the vaccination. So um, we do see, you know, people get infected even under these ideal scenarios. Um, and, you know, eight is a small number because we're looking at, you know, a randomized control trial is a large number of people, 40,000. But just to give you an idea, like if we were to scale up this fraction to the US population. So let's say 328 million people in the US, and let's say we gave every single person the vaccine and we applied this 0.04% you know, breakthrough rate, then we would expect to have 131,200 breakthrough infections. So this is, you know, we do expect that some um, people will get infected even though they were vaccinated. The hope is that their disease will be mild or not severe enough to require hospitalization or death. And then the other thing that I wanted to note was that the vaccine trials are conducted under more ideal circumstances. And so in addition to um, the vaccine, there's other variables that happen in real life. And that's when we do, you know, effectiveness trials. So we look at how well it does in a real population that's not in a clinical trial. And so in the clinical trial, we actually remove people. So we say you're excluded from participating in this study if you are immune compromised, if you have HIV, if you're receiving chemotherapy, have an autoimmune disease. These are all factors that reduce an individual's response to a vaccine. So not every single person responds well to a vaccine. Some people don't actually mount an effective immune response. And so 
the numbers that we expect in these clinical trials are actually higher than what we would expect in real life. Because in real life, we do vaccinate people that are, you know, organ transplant recipients that are on chemotherapy that have HIV that are immune compromised. So we know that there's going to be, um, you know, some people that don't do as well with the vaccine and are more likely to get infected. And then of course, we also have these different vaccines. So each vaccine is a little bit different. And then, you know, the variants. So Pfizer's initial trial was before we ever had Delta. So, you know, once we introduce these other factors, then we're going to expect basically more infections than even that, you know, little thought experiment I did with just scaling up the Pfizer trial. From what we've seen, from what you've seen, I should say, of the data of breakthrough infections, is there anything that you feel is out of line with what expectations were or does it all pretty much fall within the parameters of what you would expect given the real world situation we're in? Well, so in a recent study that was published in Israel, so they had enrolled a group of healthcare workers that were fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, um, and they followed them over time. And they found that 2.6% of the people, the healthcare workers that were um, vaccinated actually became infected. So that 26 is higher than the 0.04%. Now they technically are a higher at-risk population because they're interacting potentially with people that are sick and have a, a higher risk of coming into close contact with somebody that's infected, but it is higher than what we expected. Um, and they also looked at the tighter levels, which is one way of saying, you know, how how much of your how much immune response did you get after having the vaccine? And they saw that the people that had lower tidal levels around the time that they were infected were more likely to get uh, the disease than people that had lower levels. Um, but the the two things, I guess, um, that are probably maybe concerning are that um, about 19% of people that got sick ended up having symptoms of long COVID. So like headaches, muscle pain, loss of taste and smell. Um, fatigue that lasted for more than six months. And we know that long COVID can happen whether you have an asymptomatic infection or whether you're hospitalized. Um, so I think just the long-term implications of like what we might be looking at down the line in terms of long COVID is something that we don't really have a handle on and we don't know what might happen. But, um, you know, the idea of reducing hospitalization and death is is good and you know even a mild infection still though can lead to long COVID. So I think that's something that we have to um, think about. And the other thing is that even in this study, which was with primarily, you know, do you remember the variant that was initially introduced in the UK? It was called the Alpha variant. Mm -hmm. So this study was primarily with people that were infected with that variant, the UK variant. And so they noticed that they had higher viral loads. And so normally when you, they had high viral loads during part of the time they were infected. And so high viral load means like, you know, you're expelling more virus particles and you're more likely to transmit. So I think that the hope with people um, when we started with the vaccination was that if you were infected, probably your viral level, your viral load would be lower, you would be less infectious and you wouldn't be able to infect people. Um, and so at least this study showed that, 
you know, people did have um, a high viral load at some point. So that means probability of infecting people, you know, with these breakthrough infections. And then potentially now, you know, now the CDC released um, information about the Delta variant being um, as contagious as chickenpox and that people that um, these, you know, breakthrough infections are also able to transmit to others. So that is maybe a wrinkle that not everybody was um, wanting to happen, <laughs> um, that people still get sick and can still transmit to others. And then this, this issue of long COVID, I guess. There are so many numbers, so many statistics. When it comes to breakthrough infections to the layperson who is just trying to stay safe, just trying to navigate, are there certain numbers we should be paying attention to, certain statistics when it comes to breakthrough that will kind of tell the story to where we are? I don't know. For me, the whole message comes back to vaccination and increasing the number of people that are vaccinated, not just in the U.S., but on a global scale. Because, you know, when you look at these variants, um, you know, we've named them based on where they originated, but they all end up back in the U.S. So as long as the virus continues to spread, it continues to replicate. And every time it replicates, it develops, you know, little mistakes in it. And some of those mistakes really make no difference to how it how it acts. Some of the mistakes make it basically, it's like evolutionary fitness. Some of them make it worse, less transmissible, they die out. And then some of them make it more successful, more able to transmit to people, more contagious. And those become more common and prevail. And that's why, you know, Delta was initially introduced or discovered in India, and now it makes up over 80% of our cases. And so as long as there's a large fraction of people that are not vaccinated, and that's including across the entire globe, we give the virus opportunities to um, mutate and potentially even develop, you know, worse mutations than than the Delta that, that we're dealing with. Um, so, I mean, the good thing, I guess, like we talked about last time with the mRNA vaccines is that um, we can quickly adapt the vaccines with this mRNA technology to introduce other variants to protect people. Um, but I think really, you know, trying to prevent those new mutations that could be potentially more dangerous is the way to stop, you know, worse variants that could lead to more breakthrough infections. I'm curious, and you talked about earlier people that are on chemotherapy, you know, organ recipients. Is there anything in a person's biology that would make them more susceptible to being a breakthrough infection specifically here for COVID? Or is it just how much viral, how large the viral load? Is there anything that uh, people, something about them that makes them more susceptible? Well, I mean, the CDC... So they actually, they reduced the, the way that they were monitoring them. So they decided to focus their resources on the hospitalized and those that ended up with fatal cases, so people who died. So they weren't, they put less resources into studying just breakthrough infections in general. So like people that might be sick or asymptomatic. Um, so, I mean, they haven't found necessarily demographic factors um, per se, um, but you know, even in the Moderna trial, um, it was like 93%, 94% effective overall, but 
86.4% effective in people over 64, uh, 65. So there's, um, you know, some thought that, you know, maybe people that are older, their immune systems might not work quite as well. Um, and so they might uh, have a lower, basically, it, they have lower response to it. So they might be more susceptible to a new infection. Um, and then the, since people have been vaccinated, they have been studying um, people with variety of cancers. And they found that um, for some cancer types, um, people basically have no immune response to the vaccine. So it's almost, you know, completely ineffective. And then for other sort of malignancies, it's like 46% of people develop antibodies after vaccination, but not others. Um, and, you know, there's interest in these, you know, specific populations that hospitals are studying, like how do people with these different immune deficiencies or who are immune compromised respond to it? Um, so there, there are studies underway and they do show at least so far that there are patients that um, have, you know, they're on chemotherapy or organ transplant recipients that don't, don't respond as well to the vaccine. So yes, I would say that probably it's hard to say with demographics um, right now, except for maybe, maybe age a little bit. Um, but I would definitely, you know, if you're in a, in a, in a subset that's more immune compromised, um, I would definitely, you know, act more like you're not vaccinated. If you are vaccinated, you know, just be extra careful, like the same protections you took before, you know, just for peace of mind of yourself, you know? And I think you mentioned that the CDC with breakthroughs is focusing on hospitalizations and death. Should we be tracking overall cases? Should there be more focus on that? Are we doing a disservice by not elevating that statistic to that same level? Or is kind of not the whole point, but one of the big points is if you get vaccinated, the vast, vast number of cases are not going to be severe enough to be hospitalized. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's, there's always the issue of, you know, limited resources and where do you put those resources to do the best job that you can. Um, and they've determined that focusing on those severe outcomes that we most desperately want to prevent is the better use of, you know, the funds and the personnel time that they have. Um, so, I mean, they, they reported so far, I guess, breakthrough infections in 49 states and territories up to July 19th. Um, so they have 161 million people vaccinated, 5,941 breakthrough cases um, that resulted in hospitalization or death. So we're still looking at least for that. That's a, a pretty low fraction of people. Um, so that, you know, is not, not a surprising number. Um, it's hard to, you know, the full scope of that is hard to, you know, say because we're missing the large chunk of people that don't end up hospitalized, which is a large fraction of people who, who get COVID. Um, and I guess, you know, they might, they might change their, their initiatives if they find out that people are transmitting, um, at a higher rate than they expected when they are vaccinated and ill um, than they previously thought. But yeah, it's hard to say because I'm I'm not making you know financial decisions at the CDC, and I know that they're trying to do the best with the resources that they have and do the analyses that 
they feel like are most informative to the public. And I, I think probably most people do care more about the severe cases, you know, being hospitalized, being put on a ventilator, you know, dying. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.